Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if, I, if not of my own will, I am entrusted with commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, the passage that we have before us today, 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through uh, 23, which was so uh, wonderfully read to us this morning, this passage here is a challenge to engage with because it offers two different uh, places to begin in the Christian journey. So this is Paul here talking to the church in Corinth after he, uh, after he had been to Corinth a couple of times to establish the church. They began writing back to Paul saying, okay, we've got the church thing going, but there are problems. I don't understand, why are there problems? This is supposed to be the church, it's supposed to be perfect, and Paul's like, no, you don't get it, y'all are still human, you're going to make mistakes, and other people are going to get on your nerves, and it's going to be okay, we're going to get through it, but in your efforts to get through it, in your efforts to be the church, remember just a few key things. The first, well, one of these key, key things he says, Paul says, if I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not pr proclaim the gospel. In other words, in this moment, Paul is setting up for them this notion that being the church doesn't just stop when you form the church, and being the church doesn't just stop whenever you have a place to go to worship. Now, in the uh, days of the early church, this was typically more like house church style stuff. They might have had, found larger places to worship, but they didn't really build churches for their worshipful purposes at this time. Um, in fact, Christianity was, uh, at this time, a little bit persecuted um, on behalf of the, uh, the Jewish faith because they were like, no, you're, you're, you're taking this all the wrong way, and on behalf of the Greco-Roman civilization who was like, wait, you're good to have other gods, but don't take away our gods in the process. So the church wasn't like looking to build its buildings uh, during this time. They weren't really doing that much. Rather, what they were intent on doing during this season of the church was growing. 
not just growing for the sake of numbers, but growing because of what Paul ends up calling the Christian obligation. An obligation might not be the best translation of, uh, of Paul's words here. It's always a little bit finicky to bring uh, the Greek language into modern civilization in our current uh, vernacular. Um, but for our sake today, we're going to stick with the word obligation because it implies something heavier than how we might take the gospel. That not only is this message, this good news that we have been given, something for us to hold on to, to cling to, it is also something for us to release out in the world and watch it do its beautiful devastation. Beautiful devastation in that it completely transforms the world, upends kingdoms, brings people to their knees. This good news, Paul says, we have an obligation to proclaim. So that's part one of all of this, the Christian obligation. Part two of all of this comes as Paul starts saying, in order to proclaim the gospel, this is what I've done. Maybe try this and see if it works for you, because Paul at this point felt like he was at least a bit successful in, uh, in building churches and establishing these uh, Christian communities. And, and he, says, uh, he, he says, I have become, and he starts listing off all of these things, a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I have become a Jew. To those under the law, I have become as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people. And we have to contend with this a little bit because this is where it gets frustrating. Is Paul asking us to change who we are? Is Paul asking us to be different people every time we encounter somebody who's different than us? Um, the short answer is no, but we're going to get to that short answer via a very long way. Well, maybe not too long because, you know, got to get to lunch before the Baptist. Do people still go to lunch anymore? Are restaurants open? I don't know. I just felt like something I should have said. Uh, so in this long journey to that whole, no, we're not called to exactly be different people when we encounter different people, I want you to think for a moment. How many of you, whenever you end up calling a family member or somebody that you care about, your voice ends up changing just a little bit? I've got a friend that every time she talks to her parents on the phone, she gets real Southern. I mean, real Southern. And look at her like, really? But it happens. Whenever, there are certain people in our lives that when we start talking to them, we talk to them in a slightly different voice. Whenever I talk to my dog, uh, my beloved child, I, I talk in a really high-pitched voice. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. I just want to snuggle you and eat you. That's kind of weird. But yeah, we, we just have these different voices in which we end up talking to certain people with. Not everybody, but I'd be willing to wager that most people here, even when not talking to someone that we care about on the phone, at least have a phone voice, right? Your, your voice just changes a little bit when you get on the, on the phone. Um, this is something that, uh, that it's, a, it's a psychological, well, psychosocial phenomena in which uh, we see what we call emotional intelligence. People kind of shift themselves just a little bit 
in order to connect better with the people with whom they are interacting. Just enough to be more familiar. Just enough to make that connection that says, I'm here for you. Another way we do this is with our interests. Have you ever met somebody for the first time and you get into a conversation and you realize, oh, we like the same things. For example, you get into the conversation and somebody mentions like a really obscure quote from the Andy Griffith Show. And you're like, oh my gosh, you watch the Andy Griffith Show? Like, why don't they make TV shows like that anymore? That was a great show. And then you all start bonding over this. You have an entire conversation. Next thing you know, an hour's passed and you've just been talking about uh, a TV show for so long. And then the next time you see each other, you're like, hey, you're the Andy Griffith person. Like, what's up? Let's hang out. Or perhaps it's like more of a, you're a movie person and you're having a conversation with somebody and, and you start noticing that they're, that they're kind of hinting at a certain character from your favorite um, movie series. You're like, oh my gosh, you're into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Me too, let me tell you all about my favorite superheroes and let's connect on this ground right here. And the next, next time y'all meet one another, you get back into that conversation and you start finding more things that you have in common. This is one of the reasons why we, whenever we first ask people after we get to know their name, we ask them things like, what do you do? Or where are you from? Because we try to make just enough of a connecting point that we can be in conversation together. What do you do? Oh, I've heard a little bit about your occupation. Tell me more, let's get to know each other. Where are you from? Oh, I visited there like, Four, and a, four summers ago, and it was a great time, and I visited this place, and I'm like, oh yeah, we visit that place all the time. Just enough of a connecting point that it, it's not a perfect reflection of who we are, but we make just enough of a shift, just enough of a shift to be able to connect and make more meaningful interactions with people. This is a, I mean, it's one of the most incredible things to watch. It's one of my favorite things about people watching is whenever people start making these small connections because number one, it shows high emotional intelligence and number two, it's a relationship forming. Even if it's a surface level one, it's something so beautiful because we're connecting. Paul here in this passage uh, to the Corinthians says, I have become all things to all people. Now, Paul didn't actually become these things. Uh, he contradicts himself in this. He says, uh, I have become as one under the law, and I have become as one outside the law. Well, Paul, how can you be both? He's not saying that he has changed who he is. He's saying he has made just enough of an adaptation in his worldview. He's made just enough of a shift in the way he interacts with other people that those connections become meaningful, that those connections become something that people care about. And the reason why is so incredible, because at the very basic level, it is impossible to despise someone you care about. You can get upset with them, you can get frustrated with them, you can be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hang around you right now. That's perfectly fine. But you just can't despise somebody that you care about. And making those small connections are just enough to trigger certain, sorry for the big word, neurotransmitters in our brain to form positive interactions with those people that says, I don't think this person is a bad person. In fact, this person shares some interests with me. In fact, we have kind of a lot in common, or maybe just a little bit in common, but it's enough for us to be able to say, okay, this person matters. 
And it's a process called humanization. It's where we encounter someone we've never met before, and we, in our minds, subconsciously assign human value to them, saying, they are a whole human being. I now know how I can care for them. And so this, this is how Paul ends up saying we should start the church. It's not with little tracks that have like the, Roman, the uh, Romans road, the path to salvation according to the book of Romans. It, it's, it's not like a, the, the uh, gospel of John plus the Psalms that we hand out to people and say, hey, this will get you there. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not any of these like shortcuts. It's something that involves developing real human relationships. Whenever Paul is saying, I have become a slave to all so that I might win as many of them as possible, what Paul is saying is that when you start caring for people and even serving people, being good to people, they end up caring just a little bit more about you and even a little bit more about what you might have to say. When Paul says, I have become as one who is under the law, though I am not under the law, what Paul is saying is, I've taken on this worldview that says, I understand where you're coming from. I have encountered the law before. Let's talk about that law and how it impacts your life and how we can then use that as a foundation to build up to this whole Jesus thing. Same thing for those outside the law. Same thing whenever he says, to the weak, I have become weak. Because if there's one thing that uh, weak people despise, it's listening to powerful people talk all the time. If there's one thing that poor people don't really enjoy, it's listening to rich people talk at them all the time. Why? Because, well, every teenager or every person who's been a teenager knows it. You just don't understand me. You just don't get it. I'm the only person who has ever suffered through the things that I'm going through right now, and you will never know how that feels. Puberty, am I right? It's just, it's, it's one of those things that, that we end up believing that it's impossible for another person to know what we are going through. And to an extent, that is, that's fair, that's accurate. We don't, we're not in one another's mind. But if we are willing to become all things to all people, if we are willing to adopt another person's worldview, if we are willing to get into their life and see things from their perspective, then we can at least talk about what they're experiencing from their perspective. And you've heard me say this before, people will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Most people aren't going to be all that concerned about your Jesus whenever they have other things going on in their life that they're wrestling with until all of a sudden you and your Jesus enter their life from their perspective and care about them as a human being, as exactly who they are and where they are, as a person with real problems and real hopes, as a person with real concerns and real joys, a real human person. What a novel idea, Paul. This is how the church begins to spread. Not by going up to people and say, let me tell you about Jesus. It's no, tell me about you. 
Help me get into your worldview. Help me understand where you're coming from, what matters to you. And then along the way, yes, it's not easy, but along the way, we end up getting into the Jesus stuff. We get, end up getting into this salvation. We end up getting into the great love and grace of God that is very real and present and can be integrated and incorporated into everything that you encounter. This is how the church explodes in the first century. Because people begin caring about each other in a whole new way. And it's beautiful, my goodness, it's beautiful the way that the church just begins to spread. Even through intense persecution, even whenever Christians were made to watch other Christians die brutal deaths because of what they believed, the church continues to spread. Why? Because they say, that person cared enough about me to be able to take on my worldview, to be able to experience what I've gone through, to be able to witness to my life. And because of that compassion, I learned just a little bit about the great love of God. And it changed me. Paul here is introducing a concept that, um, that we in the world of uh, psychology have only recently begun to discover the benefits of, a simple concept called empathy. Empathy. It's become kind of a buzzword in the past, uh, I don't know, decade-ish, maybe a little bit less than that. It's become one of those words where you're like, oh, oh talking about empathy again, wonderful. Uh, this is, this is a, a, a profound concept in our world, the way that empathy works. You use empathy all the time. All the time. If you have uh, somebody in your life that you're close to, you end up using empathy to connect with them, to make conversation. If you have somebody that you're meeting for the first time, you use empathy to try to make those common connections. Empathy is, is it's all around us. It's the way that we connect to one another. Empathy, however, needs to be separated from sympathy. Empathy is not the same as feeling bad for somebody when they're feeling bad. It's whenever somebody else is feeling bad, being willing to get down into the grit of it with them. Uh, Brene Brown is like one of the leading authors on empathy. She does some incredible stuff. Some people don't really like her, but whatever. She, she's a, a brilliant individual. And uh, she does this video on empathy and talks about how, uh, talks about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Think about a a person you care about being in a deep, dark pit, and they can't get out. Sympathy says, we walk up to that pit, look down, and say, looks pretty bad down there. Do you want a sandwich? Empathy says, I'm going down into that pit with you. Empathy is not easy. Empathy is not pretty. But empathy makes a world of difference. Sympathy looks for the silver lining among the storm clouds. Empathy walks into the storm with the other person and says, we're going to come out of this together. There's a difference here. Empathy, we've heard the expressions before. Empathy is walking a mile in another person's shoes. Empathy is being willing to get into their world and say, I see where you're coming from. I see what hurts you. I see what makes you laugh. Let's keep walking together. Empathy is being willing to encounter a different lifestyle and say, this is just as meaningful as my lifestyle. 
Empathy is being willing to walk through the hardest times with people and celebrate in the greatest joys with people. It's a relational concept. And relationship can't really be separated from empathy. In other words, what Paul is getting at here is if you want to be the church, and if you want to see the church grow, and if you care about what this gospel is trying to do at all, this what he calls Christian obligation, if it matters to you, then here's where you need to start. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some to be willing to take on that person's worldview, to be able to look at the world through their lens, to be able to wear their shoes, to be with them in empathy. Um, Take a little lesson from Disney for a moment. Not a perfect uh, model, but uh, one movie that I didn't appreciate until I was a little bit older was the movie Pocahontas. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of fun stuff in there. There's a talking tree and a w- really quirky raccoon and hummingbird. Uh, but the song Colors of the Wind, I always thought it was an interesting song because all of a sudden everything goes into pastels and they're like flying around and stuff like that. Uh, but, but the lyrics of the words Colors of the Wind, start, uh, Pocahontas starts out by singing to John Smith, you think the only people who are people are the people who look and act like, are the people who look and think like you. Starts out with like this accusation that says, There are more people out there than just the people who look and think like you. And then she gets into this whole ballad of if you're just willing to open yourself up to the way that other people experience the world, this whole paint with all the colors of the wind, then my goodness how it can transform your life. So I say all of this to really get to this challenge here, that my challenge for you this week, and hopefully every week onward, but at least for this week, to take opportunities to see the world through another person's eyes. It's hard. It's not always pleasant, but to take opportunities to see the world through other people's eyes, because this is the beginning of the church's mission in the world. We talk about inclusivity a lot in the United Methodist Church. In fact, there's an entire part of our book of discipline that talks about how every United Methodist Church is called to be an inclusive church. And I'm here to say that inclusivity is very small. I would even be so bold to say inclusivity is not enough because inclusivity says, come on in here, you're welcome here so long as you take on our worldview." so long as you see things the way that we see them, so long as you follow our rules, so long as we still have the power. A contrary notion to this is the word belongingness. The church is called to be a place of belongingness, saying to all people, you are not only welcomed here, but you belong here. Who you are belongs here. We have plenty of room for you. It takes a step beyond inclusivity to say that everything about who you are is enough for God because God hasn't called perfect people. Everything about who you are is enough. And the only way that a church can become a community of belongingness is by being willing to look through other people's eyes.
by being willing to walk a mile in another person's shoes, by, if I could be so cheesy, being willing to paint with all the colors of the wind. That's how the church becomes the church. Let us pray.